Ah. It's, it's, um, I'm not even going to talk about how wonderful it is to be back in South Africa. It's been four years. If I go down that road, I'm going to start crying and it will embarrass Glenda and um, I'll embarrass myself. So I really mean that. This country is so deep in our heart. Um, I know that where we've lived outside of this country, I have to be so careful that I don't compare other nations to South Africa because this is my first love. I'm totally captured by this love. I see I'm not crying. I said I shouldn't talk about it, so I won't talk about it. Um, thank you. I could mention names of leaders and everyone here, but um, uh, I would do that and, and honor people in another context and time that we're here. But let's just get into the Word. I want to I I talk a little bit about um, the kingdom is received, not achieved. The kingdom is received, not achieved. And um, I'll explain that in a moment. I want to, I know there are people here that are well grounded in grace, in the revelation of grace. And then there's others that are just coming in to a fresh revelation of grace. They're coming in to discover the whole difference of the new covenant uh, compared to the old covenant. And uh, I don't know about what all of you believe in this room, um, but clearly we must know where the new covenant began. Because if, you, if we start in a place that's not the new covenant, and we believe it is the new covenant, it has done more to destroy the church than, than the devil himself. Because if you read Malachi, and you come to the end of Malachi, and you turn, and then you'll see on your Bible page, the new covenant. That is a complete lie. And that is not the Bible. The, the writers of Scripture did not put that in. The translators added that. They might have been sincere, but they had absolutely no right to do that. Because you cannot begin a covenant until the blood of that covenant is spilled. And the cross is the filter between old covenant concepts. And nothing can come from the old covenant into the new covenant unless it passes through the cross. And the cross reinterprets and upgrades old covenant concepts. Can you say amen? amen. It upgrades them. Like circumcision, one, two. Circum- I don't want to embarrass people, but it's in the Bible. Circumcision is a snip on the tip. And you don't stick the tip back on with Bostick. So circumcision of the Old Covenant comes to the cross, and it's translated and upgraded to a circumcision of the heart. Now, can you see how superior the promises of the New Covenant are? Amen. Amen. And there's so much we could talk about that I'm not going to keep on going on that. Uh, let me just say this. What about if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you? That's all said before the cross. Jesus was still preaching the law, primarily to the Pharisees, to absolutely disintegrate their arrogance and their pride and their self-righteousness. The law, it's only one purpose, is to totally devastate us and sh- show us. Uh, Show us what God already knew about us. We're totally bankrupt. Spiritually, we have no hope. The law is to be put on such a high standard that Romans 3.19 says, uh, every mouth will be silenced and every human's heart will be made accountable to God through the law. So that it shows that we're totally not able to even stand before God 
based on the law. The law was to stir up sin in us. That's the purpose of the law. 1 Corinthians 15 says the law is a ministry of death and it awakens sin in us. And it brings death. The law is to kill us. It's to kill our ego, our arrogance. And so the law comes to the cross and it is 100% canceled off the believer. Not off the unbelievers. Only those that are in Christ are no longer under the law. So why don't you open your Bibles quickly to Romans chapter 4. Where's that light gone? Okay, Romans chapter 4. And um, we'll just, I'm, gonna, I'm just, sorry, don't worry about it. I'll just quote the scriptures. It'll be easier. Uh, but you can, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the reference and then you can look it up, okay? Just to make sure that I'm not lying. Um, and tell me if I'm wrong, okay? Please tell me if I'm wrong. But it, I, I'm, I don't know. My, my, I learned the Bible in the old King, King James and then the New King James and then the NIV. And so um, I mixed all of those up together. But Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says, And so, my brothers, which includes sisters, and so, my brothers, you have, not going to, and so, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may serve. Let me say it again. So my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to him who was raised from the dead and bear fruit unto God. The law will only bear fruit unto death. And so we have died to the law. You can't be deader than dead. It's very clear. We have died to the law. The law has not died. The law is still thundering into the earth to the unbeliever to show them and reach into their conscience that they are not right with God. And I'm not a universalist. I don't believe everyone's automatically going to heaven. Otherwise, Jesus would not say, I needed all authority in heaven and earth to release you to go and preach the gospel to all nations. And people are under the demonic, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this world, the word world is the, is the word cosmos in the Greek, which from cosmos we get the word cosmetics. And cosmetics are, are there to make something that's ugly look attractive. Now, ladies, that has got nothing to do with you. Please keep wearing cosmetics. And even today, men can wear cosmetics. I might even start it sometime. I'm one year from 70, by 80, I'm going to be putting liners and makeup and rouge. <laughs> I don't have a problem with men doing it now. So, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong. Isn't that a beautiful word, belong? That you might belong to him. You belong to him. He was raised from the dead that you may bear fruit unto God. Wow. You died to the law. And the verse before that, verse 3, talks about once we were married to the law. <coughs> we were married to a fault-finding husband. He pointed out our faults and never lifted a finger to help us. Jesus does not point out our faults after the cross. And he does lift more than a finger to help us. He comes and lives inside of us and thinks through us and talks through us. He's borrowing my voice right now. And then if you skip 
the next verse, verse 5, which talks about how when we were under the law before we were saved, when we had uncircumcised hearts, the law produced all kinds of sinful activities in us. It is insane to put the law on believers. Put the law on the unbelievers and show them the good news of the gospel of grace. Amen. They, they will never appreciate the gospel of grace till they understand that they don't have to live under the law of condemnation and judgment. They get shift into a gospel, a new covenant. Come through the cross for the upgrades. Amen? Remember before the cross, if you didn't forgive other people, you were not forgiven. That's a, that's a, that's a flipping introspective nightmare. How do you know if you've forgiven everybody? Jesus wasn't doing that to like make it a, a pattern of life. He was trying to provoke us to realize how impossible it is. If you look at someone with lust under the law, you've committed adultery. If you hate someone without cause, you've committed murder. He says, it's better you cut your hands off and your eyes out and go to heaven with no eyes and no hands than go down into hell with both hands and both eyes. What is Jesus doing there? He's not saying you should go cut your hands off. He's trying to say that if you're relying on the law in any way, you are finished because you've misunderstood the purpose of the law. And right in the middle of Rome, in Matthew 5, verse 20, he comes in and he says this, and unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not even see the kingdom of heaven. And everyone goes, oh my God, the righteousness of the Pharisees. I've got to be more righteous. I've got to try harder. I've got to try harder to behave so that I can, I won't even see the kingdom. I won't even get saved. No, a Pharisee called Saul, Paul, Paul, the apostle, he fell down into a trance and got a revelation of the gospel. And in Philippians 3, he said, all those things are done. He said that I, you've got to see it as done. You cannot see yourself righteous until you see all the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees and of the law. You've got to see the law's not done. It's holy and righteous. But trying to keep the law to be righteous, that is dung mentality. And Paul says, I'm pressing to the mark of my high calling in Christ Jesus. What is he pressing to? What mark? He's pressing to a mark where he has no more old covenant concepts controlling him. Because he says, For I want to obtain a righteousness. He says he has obtained, by the way, a righteousness that is by faith apart from the law. Can you say amen? An apostle... He knew the whole Old Covenant. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and all that stuff. He, he now says all of that stuff is not done in its right context. But once you come to the cross and his reinterpretation and upgrades, in comparison, that's done. And you know how many Christians are living in dung? You know how many years I lived in dung? Dung smells. It smells of religion. Smells of demons. Demons, doctrines of demons, are pervasive in the church world today. Because some people still think that the four Gospels is the new covenant. They believe that a covenant can begin before the blood of that covenant is shed. Can you say amen? amen. So let me just read this to you quickly so that you can, for those, and now every one of these statements have got a verse of Bible behind it. I don't have time to quote them, all the verses. But you, you that are wise know these, these are truth. If you're coming into grace, fasten your seatbelts as I read this. And we need to compare law versus grace and make a choice. You cannot live in a neutral no man's land. You cannot live 
partly in first Adam and partly in last Adam. You cannot live partly in the law and partly in grace. James says that's double-minded thinking, and the double-minded man or woman will receive nothing from the Lord. People are praying and asking why. They're praying double-minded. Lord, am I good enough? Have I kept the law enough? Oh, yes, but you are gracious. Yes, I know, but the other day I sinned. And oh, Lord, but you're gracious. Oh, but the other day. And they're double-minded. Religious schizophrenia. A cocktail, a confusing cocktail of Old Covenant and New Covenant all mixed together. And the church is living under a spirit of confusion. And Paul says, God is not a God of confusion. So who's confusing the church? Doctrines of demons. Because people have got it into their mind. It can't be just grace. Because we're going to then go out and sin and sin and sin and sin. I can't think of anything more stupid Like I, had, I have to say, I mean, it's like self-evident. Glenda and I have been married for 48 years. I can't even, I can't believe that, actually. <laughs> and that doesn't mean to say it's all been beautiful. Actually, the way we've been married for 48 years is that we have really good fights. I'm scared to go to sleep at night in my bed because I'm worried I might, I might wake up and Glenda's standing over me with a, with a bucket of petrol and mattress. And maybe that's, you know, but maybe once or twice we've gone to bed angry. But I want to say in 48 years we have resolved by process of conflict and arguments and then laughter and we've been stupid and childish and then crying and just sorry, man. And at the end of the day, it's not who's right and who's wrong. It's about humbling ourselves. You know what destroys marriages? Arrogance and pride and self-righteousness. And I've got to win the argument. So I don't just, admit, I don't just say I'm wrong if I'm not wrong. If I, if I know that I'm wrong, I'm going to say I'm wrong. But don't ever say you're wrong when you know you're not wrong. Just to win, just to settle, just to get peace. Amen? And I, I just want to say that to, to have a marriage that keeps increasing in glory, we are so deep as a friend, as friends. We love each other deeply. We have romantic love. We have chemistry. But we also have friendship love. And we, we walk together. In the, my wife and I, we travel together. We stand together. Have we been tempted? Often. But we've never given in to temptation. Listen, men and women, if you've never been tempted to commit adultery, don't lie to me. Now, you might not have been tempted, but Jesus was tempted in all ways. Yeah. As we are, yet he was without sin. It's not sin to be tempted. doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Jesus had nothing wrong with him, and he was tempted. Fight against temptation with the gospel of grace. Not under law. Not, don't feel condemned because you are being tempted. Feel flattered that the devil wanted to tempt you because he tempted Jesus in every way. If you're not being tempted, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know which kingdom you're in. No, sorry. But if Jesus was tempted, you're going to be tempted. Do not think you're sinning because you're being tempted. Yeah. You, you sin when you give in to the temptation. Fight temptation with everything you've got. Use any tactic. Never give in. Because people are given to adultery or get into drugs or excessive alcohol, and they run out and they do all this stuff. Listen, it's a long way back. He instantly has already forgiven you. Grace is already there. But the damage and all the time that has to be processed 
And while the world is going to hell, we are indulgently needing inner healing and outer healing and inner healing and outer healing and inner healing and outer healing. Imagine the apostles, imagine Apostle Paul going to a psychiatrist for counsel on his image on the inside of him. I'm not saying it's wrong to go to a psychologist sometimes, so choose a Christian one. He'll give you a biblical worldview. Otherwise, I'll tell you that you're just trans. You're not in a trance, you're transgender, you don't even know who you are. Or you just decide who you are from one day to the next. That's called schizophrenia. That's called demonic. I know that I'm a man because I've got the plumbing of a man. I know she's a woman because she's got a woman plumbing. God didn't make a mistake. Amen. Guys, the more atheistic the world goes, the more they suppress the truth of the Creator and worship creation, the more darkened they become in their minds. And God finally, because they are suppressing the truth, He has to hand them over. That doesn't mean He gives up on them. He just removes His protection because they're going so far into the weirdest things. And so God, what He does is He doesn't, he doesn't hand them over to being lost forever. He hands them over he releases them from the protection that is the common grace of all mankind. And he lets them go into the most extreme. You can't even believe what human beings can degenerate into. And now what's being degenerated into is called normal living in an atheistic God-hating society. You know they worship gods, but they're demon gods, new age gods, fairy gods. Amen. And the church, the greatest commodity we need now is courage and boldness motivated by love. We, we are ambassadors of the highest government in the universe. And men and women in Christ, as ambassadors of heaven's government, authorized on planet earth to call this planet into the repentance of faith and turn away from evil. And new covenant repentance is not an old covenant repentance. Old covenant repentance is condemnation and guilt and shame. That leads to death. New covenant repentance is the goodness of God leading us to repentance because we realize God is good. Amen. And God has not given up on those people He's handed over to go into that. Many of them are turning around now because sin has got a use-by date. It gives you a lot of kicks at first and then it kicks back. It's got diminishing return sin for pleasure. Amen. I hate sin. I think it's stupid. It's stupid. Amen. I, I have never committed adultery because I'm scared of Glenda. What you do. But actually, the truth is, I'm captured by his love. And people say, well, you've been a, a leader for 46 years in, in the front line. I'm going, well, that's the least of the service. That's the least. Amen. We are living with eternity in mind. What, what, what if we get all the prestige and all the wealth and all the accolades that this world heaps on people who are atheists? What if we get all? We, we never get that prestige. Who cares? Heaven is our, is our eternal home. There's great rewards for faithfulness. The grace message is not a message that there are no rewards for faithfulness. Men need incentives. Women are pretty happy just to, you know, be faithful. But men, we're just a little grade lower than that. We're based. No, I'm joking. But David, who's a man after God's heart, said, hey, what do I get for killing this uncircumcised giant? I want a reward. First Corinthians 3 talks about rewards for faithfulness. 
Not wood, hay, and stubble for those who are serving God with the wrong motive, but those who are serving God because I love Him. We don't have seeker, sensible churches that are man-centered. We have God-centered churches, and His glory is what it's all about. It's about Him. Come on. Guys, you're listening so well. You, you're making me waffle. So let me just read this, and it'll help me shut up. Um, You're not going to remember this, but it's an impartation. Tonight, believe it or not, is a night of impartation. It's a night of activation. In other words, our position in Christ means that we already have everything. Ephesians 1, 3, uh, we've already received every blessing. Every heavenly blessing is ours in Christ. So we have it all. We have all the DNA and potential to do the works, the miracles Jesus did. Truly, truly, truth said, truly, truly, John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, if I said, who believes you? Put up your hands, don't put up your hands because you all believe. But truly, truly, I say to you who believes in me, the miracles that I've been doing, you will do also and even greater works because I'm going to my Father. So here's the church in the world. Like, oh, well, we try to pray for a few people and they didn't get healed. So we will just uh, we'll scrap those verses. I know they're in the Bible, but we'll just scrap them out the way. You'll be do- doing these things because I go to the Father. Because in Christ, we have got seven elevations according to Ephesians 2 and Galatians 2. We have been crucified with Christ. We have died with Christ. We have been co-buried with Christ. We have been, past tense, co-raised with Christ. God dwells in eternity, not time. It's already done in heaven. Can you say amen? We have been co-raised with Christ. We have been co-ascended with Christ. We have been co-seated with Christ. We are co-equal, co-equal, co-equal heirs with Christ and heirs of God And the works he did, we can do also because we are yoked with Christ and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. And you don't need a lot of training on how to do miracles. You just need to know who you are and miracles will start flowing out of our lives. And I mean, so yeah, let's read the thing. I'm reading this because I want to say, why? Let's answer this question. The kingdom is received, not achieved. Why? Are there beautiful people in great churches who still don't get healed? Because I know in this house, you've seen great miracles. You've seen, I mean, some of the things Connor's told me just make my hair stand up on my arm. Creative miracles. We've seen miracles. But why is it still that everyone doesn't get healed? Because we know it's God's will to heal everyone. And I will say... And I'm, this, is my, this is my theory, okay, so don't shut me down because I'm right. Um, <laughs> the only thing, the only one factor that stops the miraculous is, is condemnation. Whether it's low-grade or high-grade, low-grade condemnation will stop the miraculous. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are Christians that say they've heard about grace, but they don't have a revelation of grace. They have a concept of grace. And a concept becomes a contraception 
that stops conception. And this is the most dangerous thing now, in my opinion, in the church, who have said, oh, we've heard about grace. Yeah, let's, let's hear about something else. Let's learn about the beast and 666 and eschatology and when are we going home. I'm not interested in where we're going home. I'm not sitting on the rapture bus stop waiting to go home. We're here to do damage against the devil on this planet. Don't take us out before we've finished our assignment. So there are, there are people immunized with a grace vaccination. They've just got a little bit of grace in the vaccination. Now they're immunized against the real substance of grace. They've got concepts of grace. And because they haven't got revelation of grace, they are now running around with license to sin. Now grace is a license to obey the Father. Amen. Amen. Grace is a license to say no. Titus chapter 3 says the grace of God has appeared to all men and it teaches us to say no to worldly passions. You hear someone under grace that's gone into the most diabolical stuff, but they say, well, I'm in grace. It's okay. You're obviously not married to a good wife because she should have killed you by now. (laughs) Let's have an aggressive grace ability to to actually defend this message and absolutely show our horror at people who use grace as a license for sin because they are sending people to hell. They are, they, are, they are causing people to stumble. There are legalists out there who long to actually walk in grace, but when they hear, there are some, some people, they, they in grace. So if they don't feel like coming to church on Sunday morning, they don't come. That is a disgrace. When did, when did Jesus say, I'm going to live by my feelings? Yeah. Now, he said, everything I see my father do, I'm going to do it whether I, I'm adding my part of the scripture, whether I feel like it or not. There are a lot of things I don't feel like doing. Mature people do the right thing when they don't feel like it. Well, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. He's not letting me know yet. So you know what's right. And what's wrong? Don't go by your conscience. Go by revelation. Your conscience is not reliable. Oh, I shouldn't have gone down there. That's another whole rapture. Paul says some people's conscience stopped them from getting married or even eating meat. So that's an oversensitive conscience. Other people have a conscience that allowed them to rape and kill people, and they don't feel bad about it. So conscience is not your God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit Himself witnesses with our spirit and testifies that we are children of God. And that we do, we don't, God has not given us a spirit to fear again, but a spirit that witnesses that we are sons of God. And by that spirit we cry, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. And when you have that, you know that you know by that inward witness what is wrong and what is right. Because there are some things that are legitimate, but they're not right for you to do. And when the, when the believers discern... Even though something is not bad or evil, you're not called to do that. You might be one of those people. God says, don't take out loans. You don't put that on other people, but for you, that's something in your spirit God's spoken to you, so stick with that. Amen? But if someone put that on you as guilt, and now you're in all kinds of, you know, maybe you need to take a loan. So what I'm saying is don't live by the guidelines of other people's revelation. You are a new covenant believer and you walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit will never lead you to go and sin. Never lead you to live a a life that is an absolute disgrace. Imagine Jesus saying, I don't feel like praying for the sick today. And we're meant to live like Him. 
We are meant to be conformed to the image and pattern of Christ. You know, Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it doesn't say all of creation is groaning for the sons of God to appear. It doesn't say that. It says all of creation is groaning for the manifestation or the revealing of the sons of God. See, sons have everything already. But unless it manifests, it's like they've got nothing. So I'm tired of people just talking about their position, their position, I've got this, I've got everything, I've got everything inside of me. I want to see it more on, we want to see it more on the outside of us, don't we? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, it's not just inside of me. Jesus said that. It's the Spirit of the Lord that's in power upon you that benefits other people. The Spirit in you benefits you. But the Spirit that comes upon you, all right, Rob, these people are listening so well, they're distracting you. (laughs) I guess you got that message that the, wor- the world doesn't need to see one more Christian living an absolute disgraceful life, making all the excuses because his dad beat him up, or his mom beat him up, or this went wrong, or this went wrong. What they're doing is they're underestimating and dishonoring the power of grace. Paul was dealing with insults, difficulties, hardships, and Paul says hardships. He's not talking about it was raining on Sunday, so I didn't come to church. He's talking about being whipped, imprisoned, beaten. When he went to a city, he just went to the jail first. And he said, Have you got, I, just want to, I just want to book one of your best rooms because I'll arrive here sooner or later. I mean, he gets, he gets stoned for preaching this gospel of grace. So, oh, I don't want to preach grace. The church will hate me. Now, yes, the demons hate you. But would you rather have demons hating you and God celebrating you? I've lost good friends over this message. Well, let me say this with a bit of gloating. Most of them have repented and are now preaching this message. You just hold out long enough and you'll see. Paul gets stoned. Not on marijuana. He gets stoned. But I mean, he is, you know, when they, when they throw stones at you, they don't just aim at your feet. They aim at your head. Rocks, big rocks. Bang, 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 bang. And he falls. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that he died or he went into coma. But it was either death or coma, one or the other. And the disciples, the other believers, all flee into the city. That's great, eh? You are abandoned. Now, imagine how many woke Christians would do about being stoned. The next morning, Paul comes out. uh, Oh, the believers come and stand around him. And, And he gets up. We don't know if he's resurrected from the dead or came out of his coma, but he gets up with a smashed-in face. (laughs) And he says, let's go to Galatia. (laughs) He walks to Galatia. (laughs) No wonder wonder John Mark didn't want to carry on going with him. I don't want to go with Paul anywhere. <laughs> this man is so captivated by heaven. 
He is so led by heavenly realm. He is so aware of eternity that the temple, time, space world, full of the corrupted wisdom of this fallen age, the God of this world and all of his lying attractions that deceive people and is something that sends them to hell and destroys their marriages, destroys their health, just for money and sexual pleasure. What insanity is that? New creation nature says no. No to sin. No to looking at things you shouldn't look at. No to listening to things we should. It's not based on law and guilt. We are not motivated to say no out of guilt. We're motivated out of grace. And we're captured by Him. Because He said no. Come on. So, <laughs> sorry, Lord. It was a good. It was quite a good chip, Mark. <laughs> so Paul walks to Galatia, and he preaches, and a whole church is birthed. And then he talks about you received me because of a. Some translators say an illness. It's not an illness. When you get stoned, it's not an illness. It's an inflicted illness. It's not, a th- it's not his thorn in the flesh. It's not sickness wasn't Paul's thorn in the flesh. What a stupid thing. Stoned with rocks. That's why he had eye trouble. His rocks went into his eyes. God never made Job sick. Not once. It's clear the devil made him sick. Job had a limited understanding. He didn't have the, the opportunity to understand the new covenant. He had a lot of ignorance. But one thing he knew, it wasn't God that made him sick. Then, then, then he started kind of like blaming God, but he was so confused. And right at the end, he repents for being stupid. And then God gives him twice. But you know, we're not disciples of Job. We're disciples of Jesus. And he didn't teach that you know, God's going to come kill you, kill your children and everything. No. I'll come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We're following Jesus. We're in the new covenant. Amen. So Paul's thorn in the flesh was not sickness. It was arrogant aggression because of the gospel of grace. You know, when I didn't preach clear, undiluted grace, the devil kind of attacked me because I, I knew the flow of the anointing and faith and all of that stuff. And I knew something about grace. But when I saw the classic clarity of grace, I've never seen such hell let loose on Glenda and me and my family in Hong Kong. You know, I got, I got grace clearly a, a little bit in, in Adelaide. I started seeing more and understanding it before I ever heard of Joseph Prince and anyone else. I had heard about Paul the Apostle. Though. And that's the best one to get your message of grace from. Because of his lifestyle of enduring hardship. I don't know where this charismatic generation has come from. That if I get enough anointing and enough power, I will never suffer. You must be mad. You're not in heaven yet. You're in a corrupted wisdom of a fallen age that's going to be consumed with judgment and burn. And we are just here as agents of heaven until we've finished our assignment. Then we go home. Amen? So, long story short, let me compare law and grace. Because I think 
I think it's, it's such a sad, it's a, such a sad thing. You see, when someone, when the Pharisees put everything on the law, even though they weren't keeping it, but it was their way of controlling Israel. And Galatians 3.13 says, the law is not based on faith. Amen? The law is not based on faith. What does Hebrew 11 verse 6 say? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the law is not based on faith. So the law is not based on something that can please God. The law is to devastate our self-righteousness. So here it goes. The law demands the perfect standard of God's righteousness from you. Grace gives you God's free gift of His, unri- of His righteousness. The law says, do, do, do. Grace says, it's done, it's done, it's done, it's finished. Rest, you are safe. The law says, your sins I will never forget. Grace says, your sins I will never, never, never remember. God is omniscient. How can you not remember any of our sins? It means that they're nowhere in the universe. They don't exist in the universe. Because the incorruptible blood of Jesus blotted them out of existence. That's omniscient God who knows everything. Can't remember your past, your present, and your future sins. When Jesus said it is finished, all your sins were in the future. And Colossians, said, Colossians 2 verse 14, 15 says, He has forgiven or has, past tense, forgiven all of your sins. That's why you forgive other people, not because you're afraid that if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. Amen? Now you have been forgiven, whether you forgive people or not. Hallelujah. La, 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 la. I don't have to forgive you. But you know what will happen? When you get a revelation, all your sins, past, present, future are forgiven, you will forgive. Amen? I was in London. Glenn and I were in London um, East London, not East London, South Africa, but East, whatever it is. Whatever, hey? Whatever. We were in London, England. <laughs> and we were, we were preaching in a, in, in, a, in a big stadium, and there was Reading, London. And there were many, many people in the packed out, British people, stiff upper lip people. And, um, and every night when we preach grace, People were started, their faith was rising because grace just releases faith and confidence. It removes all condemnation. So grace was rising and rising. People were being healed and people coming up to get saved every single night. Not the same people, but people were coming. <laughs> yeah, we had 2,000 people saved. There's actually 100 who came forward. Ten. <laughs> they got saved and then during the night they lost it again. So. For me, if people aren't getting saved, I'm not interested. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If we're following him, we're going to be fishing. We may not catch every fish, but we're going to be fishing. Amen. And if we haven't caught any fish, then push under the deep and listen to him. Throw your nets out on this side and you catch. Come on, it's time for harvest. And so we saw this lady being pushed in every single night by her husband. We assume it's her husband. And, um, and on the third night, I'm preaching. While I'm preaching, I feel this lady's pulling on me. He said, what do you mean pulling on you? You know, uh, It's her faith. Do you know that faith is a spiritual force? 
detectable, discernible, and tangible. Faith is not a cognitive agreement with the Bible. That's not faith. That's death. Faith comes from if you believe in the heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. If you believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead and confess that Jesus, you will be saved. If you believe in your head, God raised him from the dead, you are not saved. And the biggest problem in the church is so many churchgoers are not saved. They're not born again. The, the new creation nature fruit would be showing, but it's not showing. You've got to beg people to just obey God in the smallest things. And even if people are saved and they look warm, he vomits them out of his mouth. You say, oh, that's ugly, Rob. That's Bible. He doesn't vomit them out of salvation. He just takes their candlestick away and says, you're such an embarrassment to heaven. Stop that now. Because you, he's knocking on the door and they won't even let him in. In other words, Jesus is on the outside of the church and human beings have taken over. Yeah. And they become lukewarm. Yeah. And some, people, some churches around the world have been vomited out and they don't even know. And they're just still doing the ceremonies and the rituals and the unbelief. And miracles have passed away. And you're under the law, not under grace. And so Glenda and I walked up to her. Oh, sorry, I felt this pull on my heart. What's the time? Okay, woo. And while I'm, yeah, thank you. While I'm feeling that, Glenda walks up to me and says, Rob, I just feel like that lady in the wheelchair is ready to get healed right now. I said, that's what I'm feeling right now. So we dropped everything, went right to the back of the hall where she was, and, and uh, we talked to her for a few minutes, and she'd been in the wheelchair for many years. She had all the, her myelene sheath, which is over your nerves, the myelene sheath had disappeared, and now she was crippled, and she couldn't walk. And, uh, and she'd been in a wheelchair for years. And so uh, we said to her, well, God can deal with that. And we just touched her very briefly. I don't even know if we laid hands on her. We just said, Let, Lord, just anoint this lady with divine virtue, miracle power. Just do what you, only you can do, Lord, because we certainly can't. But you do it, Lord. And within seconds, she started giggling and going, oh, I can feel my, my legs for the first time. I haven't felt that for many years. I can feel it. I said, that's God. That's God. I said, are you ready to walk? She said, sure. And I took her hand and I walked her there for 10, 10 steps. And then she pushed my hand away. And she walked around this in, in, front of, in front of British people. British people. They all stood to their feet and shouted and clapped their hands. It's the first time many of them had seen a miracle. It's so sad. We should be seeing this all the time. Jesus constantly was healing. He said, if all the buildings in the world are not big enough to keep all the record of all the miracles he did. And you shall do the works I do, and even greater works. And so she, she came back, and I said to her, put your husband in the chair and push him out of this building. <laughs> and so she did. She got into the chair, and she said, you know what? This thing that I've got, the problem started when a young man pushed me into the swimming pool. And it broke something in her neck. And she said, I have resented him and felt offended by him and angry with him. Every day of my life. I guess she was saying, I haven't forgiven him. I said, do you mean to tell me that Jesus healed you with all of that unforgiveness in your heart? She said, yes. I said, because you're in a better covenant with better promises. Because all your future sin was dealt with at the cross. It is not a license to sin. It's a license to be bold as you walk with God. And we've got to tell people because condemnation shuts down yes. the miraculous. Oh, I wish I could. I'll say it again. Condemnation 
even low-grade condemnation, causes people to subconsciously, inadvertently, resist the miracle power of God. I'm of the conviction that the power of God is tangible, tangible like electricity. It is conducted like electricity, although it's superior to electricity. Imagine if all electricity around the world stopped tonight. Oh, this is South Africa. (laughs) 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 So let me take advantage of that illustration. So what, what you are doing in South Africa, you're learning to adapt and get used to electricity not working. That's the church. In the spiritual. But if the electricity around the entire world was shut down 100% for months, not temporarily, for months, 100%, do you know that millions would die within a few weeks? Fridges would go, computers would be gone, hospitals would be finished, they couldn't work, they couldn't operate. I'm talking about all generators shut down, everything, no more electricity. Okay. That's natural electricity that God put in the earth. The parallel, the supernatural anointing is God's electricity. And it's meant to be tangible and transferable. And you're meant to experience every morning when I say, Holy Spirit, come. I I have to lean against a wall sometimes. I can hardly stand because He comes. Every day, we're in the new covenant. We are supposed to experience His presence every single day. Come on, can you say amen? It is tangible. And, and that lady that touched the hem of his garment, it was like she just got, she felt, she was healed. She felt, say felt. It says felt in two verses consecutively. It says Jesus felt power go out of him. And she felt that she was healed. And then there's thousands of people that are all pressing in and touching Jesus and they didn't feel anything. And he felt nothing go. Wow, they were touching him with unbelief, with hope, maybe superstition, ritual, ceremony. Who God knows, what were they doing? That's the church today. You, you, you come to lay hands on people, you lay your hands on your head, nothing comes out of your hands. Electricity is, cannot flow. Electricity flows through copper, it flows through certain things, but it will not flow through other things. And the anointing of heaven's electricity will not flow. Through religion and legalism. Amen. I'm saying all this. I know, you, I know you know this, but I'm talking about tonight an activation. In other words, you've got everything already, but God's going to activate. I, my life has been changed uh, in the secret place with God on a regular basis, but it's also been primarily changed when I'm in the presence of ministries that have greater anointings than I have, and I catch it, I take it from them. I suck it out of them so they're so finished. See, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers equip the church for the ministry so that the church will come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how do these fivefold ministries equip the church? By Bible information? No. By impartation of the anointing on their lives. I get around a Bill Hammond, a prophet, as I did, we did in the early 80s in South Africa, and I could start prophesying like Bill Hammond. I could lay my hands on people and even sometimes get their names and, or their children's names. And it was so easy because I was around that anointing. So he equipped me without even knowing me. He prophesied over me some glorious prophecies. It was so accurate. 
Now, he doesn't know me, but I got around him and I caught that anointing. If I listen to Rhino Bonke or any other kind of evangelist of that stature, Billy Graham included, I get around an evangelist and I catch an evangelist's anointing. So much so that people say I am an evangelist. But I caught the prophet's anointing. I caught the evangelist's anointing. I caught the teacher's anointing. I caught the pastor's anointing. I've been leading churches. We've been leading churches in three nations, so we actually know how to pastor because I caught pastor's anointings. Amen. And so, actually, every believer in Christ exposed to those anointings will themselves be able to prophesy, minister, do all the stuff. And when every believer is like that, the whole church will come to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. We're going, how are we going to get this wicked world into the kingdom? Will you come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ? And believe me, we will see the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And part of that is getting legalism out of the church without the church becoming licentious. Because if we say we've got legalism out of the church and we become licentious in sin, rather stay under the law. But get out of the law and live in true empowering grace. Amen. So let me read that again. The Lord demands the perfect standard of God's righteousness from you. Grace gives you God's free gift of His righteousness. The law says, do, do, do. Grace says, it's done, it's finished, rest, you're safe. The law says, your sins I will never forget. Grace says, your sins I will never remember again. The law makes you conscious of sin. Grace makes you conscious of Christ. The law has a big finger that points out all your sins. Grace also has a very big finger that points at Jesus who took away all your sins. The law always accuses you. Grace always accepts you and embraces you as innocent. The Lord took the disobedience of first Adam and condemned us all. Grace took the obedience of Jesus and declared us righteous in him. Amen. The law is a revelation of how wrong you are before God. Grace is a revelation of how perfectly right you are with God. Under law, sin abounds, but under grace, grace did much more abound. The law makes us ask, what must we do? Grace tells us what Jesus has already done for us. The law is a heavy burden with an impossible yoke of bondage. Grace is an easy yoke and a light burden that empowers you. The law is a ministry of death. Grace is a ministry of life. The law is a fading glory. Grace is an ever-increasing glory. The law demands from you. Grace supplies freely to you. The law demands you earn the blessing. Grace has already earned the blessing for you. The law is dependent on you. Grace is dependent on what Jesus has done for you. You will always fail the law, but grace will always succeed for you. The law justifies nobody and condemns the best of us. Grace justifies and saves the worst of us. Thank God for His grace. So let me close with this, and let's release an impartation. All of the kingdom is based on one thing. The kingdom is received, it's not achieved. So if that being true, and it is, then our capacity to receive needs to increase. So in John chapter 1, verse 12, John writes and he says, 
And to as many as received him. Say received. As many as received him, he gave them power to be called the sons of God. Amen. As many as received. As many. Say many. As many. So if there were 20 people and five people received him, then five people would be given power. Amen. The, the other 15 would not release a capacity to receive, but they got their transmitter on. See, the church in its religious format is trying to transmit to God from their head. So when you lay your hands on them, they, their transmitter's pushing against you. And I have to say, hey, switch your transmitter off and put your receiver on because the kingdom's received. It's not achieved. They that received, many years, if 20 received them, all 20 would be given power. And yet if you line people up and you pray, bang, bang, nothing happens, and then one's a receiver out of 20. And that's the average sort of stats in the church today. Because they're living by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Knowledge, head knowledge. Wish I could go down there, but I won't. If everyone got free from condemnation, they would be able to receive with absolute high capacity of grace. Romans 5.17, a very popular scripture amongst grace preachers. And we reign in life by receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Present continuous tense. I'm constantly receiving. But you've got it all wrong. Yes, but I'm activating tangible manifestation. I don't want to just be a son of God. I want to be a manifesting, revealed son of God. So that when our shadows touch the sick, they get healed. Amen. When this became a revelation Pantan and I got impact and impartation of the anointing, I walked down Crompton Street in Pantan, and as I'm walking past a man, he falls on the ground, his tongue comes out, and he's swiveling like a snake, cast the demon out, led him to the Lord. Why? Not because of my gifts. It's because we're clothed in power. Amen. He that dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow of the Almighty. The angel said to Mary, she said, how will I conceive this child without a man? She said, he said, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Peter was so under the shadow of the Most High that his shadow was healing the sick in Acts 5. And in, in, in Hebrews 12 verse 28, it says, since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have reverence and awe. This grace message brings in a healthy reverential fear of the living God. These grace people running around, they've got no fear of God because they say, well, I'm under grace. So I shouldn't. We're not talking about fear in, as phobos, which is a negative fear. That if God came into this room tonight with all of His, un, all of his manifested glory, all of us would experience fear. I've been in meetings where the glories come so thick. I, I who know Him intimately felt the fear of the Lord. John, who leant back on his chest at the Last Supper, when he saw the resurrected Lord, he fell as a dead man. I believe in a, an intimate relationship that's so friendly and warm with him. But remember, underneath that is a reverential fear that he means what he says and he doesn't lie. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Amen. And so, 
The kingdom is based on receiving. We go from activation to activation to activation. And there are people here tonight, many of you, are going to be activated to a new level of boldness, to a new level of courage, to a grace-based, glorious relationship with Him. You're going to find whether it's in the morning, on the midday, or throughout the day, you're going to be talking to Him. You're going to hear His audible voice on the inside of you. I'm prophesying. You're going, to, you're going to go into a new dimension of joy. You're going to feel the tangible heavenly electricity on your life every single day. He wants you to feel it. Faith means you will feel something. You'll say, well, I don't need to feel the Lord. I have got faith. Imagine me saying, I don't need to feel Glenda. I never need to have her in my arms. I never have to encounter her in a tangible way. What kind of marriage is that? Now, we're the bride of Christ. What kind of... He wants a feeling. He wants us to experience who He is. That what knocked Saul down to the ground? This arrogant, strong man. Boom! The light of His glory. Let's not build a culture of, of a certain level of miracles. The church needs to go way beyond the best that's there's no condemnation about where we are, but we need to go way beyond the best. So let me close with the story for the th last time. I close three times as the third time. <laughs> the kingdom is received, not achieved. Anything you achieved is in the flesh. But when you receive the anointing afresh and get activated to another level of the glory, another level of faith, another level of the power of God, you don't necessarily do anything more harder, but you see more fruit, more results. And then the Lord trusts you with a stewardship as a custodian of another level of manifested glory. Because if we ran around with the full glory of God from the day we got saved, we would be dangerous. We'd be calling death on people that don't like us. And when you've got that kind of power, the power will just do it. So that's why the Lord withholds till he can trust the church to steward his glory and his power with the fear of the Lord and a boldness. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that wisdom, remember in Mark 5, they marveled at the miracles Jesus did and said, where did he get all these miracles and this wisdom from? Wisdom is for miracles. How to administrate miracles with a pure, humble heart where we take no glory. We don't want to get miracles to make our ministry look great, get on television. I don't know if I ever want to be on television. I like to be with people face to face. It's not about us and our big TV profile and successful ministry, but then it all comes collapsing down and millions of Christians are confused. Just stay small in your own eyes. He's big. Stay small. Just walk in humility. Don't walk in guilt and shame because you haven't raised the dead yet or you haven't seen blind eyes open. Don't do that. Just stay in that place of humility and say, Lord, here I am. And be hungry and get hungry and hungry.
So I'm closing with that story I said I'll close with. In Hong Kong, Hong Kong people are some of the most beautiful people I've met. I love the Chinese people. And Glenda and I do. And we, had some of the most, we have some of the most beautiful people in City Church, Hong Kong, Chinese people. We miss them deeply, affectionately. But the Hong Kong people have a, a culture of condemnation and shame-based motivations. They raise their children by putting shame and guilt on them. They push them into cupboards and close the doors. Talk about abuse. Numbers of our people in our church talk about it's on the open. Hong Kong looks like it's all working and everything's fine. Everyone's so holy. But actually when the women in my church come and tell me about how they were raped in the streets of Hong Kong, pushed down an aisle and raped. And our parents shoved them in. And the condemnation and guilt and shame-based motivation is inculcated in the culture. So when we first started preaching grace, for some it was like a breath of fresh air. But it was too good to be true in their minds and they would run out the building. They would leave the, they would leave the church because they could not handle such undiluted grace. And we just kept preaching grace and preaching grace and preaching grace because we couldn't produce miracles because condemnation was shutting down the miracles. I'm not worthy to receive. And one by one, we saw the grace of God win. And Hong Kong Chinese people smiling and laughing in church and rejoicing and bringing their friends. And just, it, it was just a, and we saw, anyway, I could tell you stories. Uh, Mrs. Wong and Mrs. Lee who were crippled and stuff, and people in our church prayed for them, and they walked and came to church walking. After I didn't pray for them. Glenda didn't pray for them. Hong Kong people just praying for other Chinese people, speaking in Cantonese. And just the, when we were recently, not the last visit, but when we were just a little time ago when we were in Hong Kong, I gave them a long message like I'm giving you tonight. Because the less we encounter the anointing, the more insensitive we are to the anointing. But the more you encounter the anointing, you become more sensitive to the anointing. That's why every day you must encounter the anointing. Yeah. And so I preach a message like this to wash minds and everything and remind them and reinforce. And then I called for a line of people who wanted to be healed. Then it was a line sort of about across like this. And, you know, I'd lay hands on point. And I said to him, if you don't receive, I'm not taking, I'm not doing my normal thing, laying hands on you. Oh, please receive in Jesus' name. And then you shout louder. That woman, she touched his garment. Jesus didn't even pray for her. She didn't even ask him to pray for her. She took the anointing out of him. And then all the other thousands have been touching, got nothing, turned to the next chapter, and it says, and all who touched the hem of his garment were healed. So that little lady with her courage against the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the couldn't sees and the wouldn't sees, her courage, her courage, you've got to break out of the pattern of condemnation and religious controls, not for license to sin, but for license to walk in the supernaturals of God under the fullness of grace. And she set a precedent that set in the next chapter, everyone that touched it wasn't a ritual. They understood now, you've got to believe that you receive. And they touched him and they received. Because their receiving capacity had gone up higher. And the kingdom is received, not achieved. Amen. And so I tell all these stories. And then the, you know, these dear Chinese people come and lay hands. 
And I said, I'm telling you, I'm not going to spend 10 minutes with you. I'm not going to spend five minutes with you because I can't see Jesus doing that. Matthew 5, Lord, I've got leprosy. If, if, if you will to, you can heal me. He said, I will be healed. Boom, he's healed. I can't see Jesus taking 10 minutes, 15 minutes prayers. But he taught for two or three days. And the faith comes by hearing. And he washed their minds with the word. And so when he prayed, the whole bunch got healed. It's only two places he couldn't do miracles. Because the Pharisees were there. Or they were offended. Only two places, Luke 4 and Luke 5. He couldn't do. So if you can't do some miracles in certain contexts, just brush your feet off and walk away and find people who will receive the word and will get a capacity to receive the power for healing. It's not hit and miss. We did a project in Brisbane, Australia, and the pastor wanted me to come pray for the sick. I said, no. I said, I'm not playing that game again. Because if you just lay hands on people who haven't been prepared by the word, you'll get 2% healed. But if you prepare them, you'll get 80% healed instantly. So I said, I'll come for three days, and, I, and, and, and I'm going to preach seven messages to clarify God's will and how to receive. I said, if they don't come for all seven, I'm not praying for them. I'm going to be legalistic on this because I'm trying to prove a point. Your people in your church are going to line up in hospitals for three days, waiting in long lines for a doctor to give you medicine. Nothing wrong with going to hospital, getting medicine. But you'll do, you'll do everything what the doctor says for you to do. But you won't come to, to seven meetings over three days, but you want instant healing. So good. Your mind is full of wrong thoughts and legalism, and God sometimes heals, and maybe He's not in a good mood today. I mean, the rubbish that's in Christians' heads. And so they came. Seven days, uh, three days, seven messages. <laughs> and at the end of those uh, three days, seven messages, I said, okay, everyone that's sick, line up. Uh, honestly, I'm not exaggerating. I just ran down the line, just hitting people on the head like this. And 80% were instantly healed. A lady in a wheelchair came out of a wheelchair, just stood up. Her peripheral blindness was healed. And, 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 and it was so easy. 80% instantly healed. And other, some other people were healed, recovered over the next few days. And one lady's husband, the one that came out of the wheelchair, her husband was angry with her because he was getting benefits for keeping her at home and looking after him. And she walked into a doctor's place. And the doctor said, oh, what the heck, man? You're walking. And then she could preach to the doctor. What happened to her? A little funny South African all the way in Australia, mate. It'll work anywhere in the world, even in a legalistic city like Hong Kong, if you'll take the time to get under the Word and watch your diet and who you're listening to. Because some people are really good. The message is really good. And then, boom, there's that conditions of what you've got to do. You've got to forgive everyone. You've got to introspect to see if you've got generation curses in you. No, the only thing you need to think about is what happens after the cross. Forget all that other rubbish. A lady got, came out of a wheelchair was full of unforgiveness. Amen? Amen. And so I, I went down the line. I tell you, touch one person, bang, power of God goes into them. Next person, mm, nothing. After one hour teaching like this, nothing. Just, I don't know where people are at. And this particular lady, uh, she's such a beautiful lady, but she put such high standards on herself that she subconsciously could not receive and they don't know they're doing it because they're in their head and they're resisting the power. The power's not flowing. And she's got nothing. 
I went down the row. I got to a lady, I, a Chinese lady. I lifted up my left hand. I didn't even get it onto her head. As I lifted it up, she just threw backwards. She fell on the ground, and she lay on the ground. And as she hit the ground, her, her, her chin came up like that. And there's a disease in Hong Kong. I really am nearly finished now, a minute to go. There's a disease in, amongst the Chinese people. It's a genetic disease that they get a cancer at the back of their throat. And the only way they can radiate that or burn it out and, is they've got to put radiation from behind you to get it in there. But what it does, it gets rid of the cancer, sort of, but it destroys the neck muscles that hold the neck up. And so when the power of God hit her, she just took it. Boom. And instantly, her neck muscles were creatively restored. And she could go like this. And I had no idea what disease she had. And afterwards, the next Sunday, she came and told me. And the doctor in our church, he operates on this case. He said, Rob, what happens to them is they get rid of the cancer, but now they their chin's on their chest, and now they can't eat properly, and they've got to be fed down through a tube, and then finally, they, they eventually some of them die of suffocation. They will all die eventually from this thing. The operation's a delay. You know, all you have to do is to get people healed. If the, if the gifts operate, you know, when the word of knowledge and gifts of healing and working in miracles and the gift of faith, I've been in places in hospitals where there's no faith in there. I didn't have faith. The gift of miracles, the gift of faith came on me and bang, the person gets healed. After that, I walk out there and I'm like Superman, who's, who's suddenly the, the Superman clothes are gone and I'm back in the nothing. Now, I don't want to live my life just on the gifts of the Spirit because yeah. I can't rely that only as the sovereign will of God. You can't just turn the gifts on. Jesus didn't have a, 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 a switch to turn the gifts. In Nazareth, he could have just switched the gift on. And you get people healed who got no faith. He couldn't switch it on. It didn't come on. And many Christians are hoping for the gift of healing, working in miracles. And listen, faith pleases God. Use the Word. Put the Word into people. The Word will wash the traditions out. Because if you don't heal them with the Word, and you just get them healed with a gift, they don't know what the Word is. So the devil comes back and tries to make them sick again. They've got nothing to resist them with. So the best thing is to heal them by the hearing and hearing of the Word. If they don't want to hear the Word, say, I'm sorry, I can't pray for you then. Because I'll be just deceiving you. My, my hands with power on your head will make no difference to you because you won't grab it like that lady did and pull it into you. And you've got to know how to receive because the kingdom's received, not achieved. Thank you. Why don't you stand together? And uh, <coughs> Jane, why don't you come and help me just with, with the keyboards, please? Thank you. So wonderful. Just close your eyes for a moment and just... Just have that attitude of, Lord, help me to get out of my head and into my heart. Um, and, Lord, I want a fresh activation. Some of you can get healed today without focusing on getting healed. Just focus on receiving the anointing. The anointing is like a heat-seeking missile. Once the anointing comes into you, the anointing is... It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like supernatural intelligence. It knows where your problem is. And it'll fix other things you're not even asking Him to fix. If you allow enough of the voltage of heaven to come into you, He'll heal you quickly. If you allow a small voltage in, He might reduce the cancer by 30%. But then it regrows. That's what often happens. But if you get the full voltage, 
It'll devastate that cancer completely so it can't come back. It'll seek out where there are cancerous cells or precancerous cells in your body and demolish them. If you deal with mental illness or trouble with moods and attitudes, the anointing will teach you how to cheer yourself up every day, that you'll be the cheerleader of your own soul. You'll motivate yourself and encourage yourself in the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to just ask the Father, just for a moment, so you can transmit in a minute. I want you to transmit to heaven, and then you can turn your transmit off and put your receiver on. But I want you to pray a prayer petition. So whatever's on your heart for activation, I want to, I, Lord, I want to be covered with the cloud of the glory. I want, to, I want to be able to be like the early church. Wasn't, they were not given a t- techniques on the day of Pentecost. There were no techniques given to them. There's only fire given to them. And the fire burnt out fear. The fire burnt out unbelief. The fire burnt out excuses. And Peter, who denied Jesus three times, under the fire, he is free to preach with such boldness and confront thousands of Jewish people for their arrogance and their unbelief and their traditions. Front, he confronts them with power. And they cut to the heart and say, what must we do to be saved? And 3,000 get saved. You believe on the Lord and be baptized. 3,000. The Azusa Street Revival is about 50 people. This, is not, this, this size crowd here is much bigger than the Azusa crowd. God only needed 120. He doesn't need a big crowd. In fact, I think big crowds are a big problem. You, need a, you just need a few. And then the fire came on 50 people in Azusa Street. In the next 100 years, 600 million people were affected. Who knows what could happen in this meeting tonight? Where faith has been released. So ask the Father for those things. Say, Lord, burn out of me all excuses. Burn out of me all legalism. Burn out of me all license to sin or license to be slack or license to have bad moods and just let my bad moods continue. Lord, help me to take responsibility to monitor my moods, to monitor my emotions. To speak words over myself and rebuke things in my heart that are just negative and critical and analytical and divisive. Rebuke pride in your own heart and say, get out of me. I'm a new creation. Get out of prejudice. Get out of getting caught up in things that are not really the issue God's called you to do. It's maybe someone else's call. Say, Lord, I want to just let all the baggage go, all the negativity. I want to receive 100% or agree with the fact that I am forgiven past, present, and future. And Romans 4 verse 8 says, And the Lord will never remember your sins again. You know how much joy comes when you know no condemnation, no memory of sin. You know, we give so much grace to other people. But we don't give the same grace to ourselves. Because we know ourselves like others don't know us. We know what we've done. You need to give as much grace to yourself as you give to others. It's that little area you're not giving grace to yourself that hinders faith. 
I apologize for talking so long, but I'm trying to reach some people here. I know many of you are ready over an hour ago, but I'm trying to reach some people who are still resisting a little bit. Be a receiver, not a resistor. Give grace to yourself. I decree over this house that patterns of life that we've wanted to stop and get free from for a long time, tonight is an activation of power and deliverance. And that temptation will not have that same power anymore. Believe me, I know what that's like. The enemy finds a spot in your life and he starts pushing those buttons and you feel powerless at times. And then suddenly you come into that place of grace and empowerment. And you laugh at the temptation. It looks so stupid and ugly. Don't want that. Pride, insecurity, criticism of other people, judging other people, isolation, withdrawing from the church, withdrawing from people, trying to control people. Repent of all of that. And say, I want to be wholesome, totally integrated in a texture of sanity. I want to be integrated... By the anointing and the favor of God. I want to be transformed. I want to be changed. That the glory of God would manifest daily over my life. That I'd speak words of encouragement, edification, and hope. Firstly over your life. And then over others. Just lift your hands. Father. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you. Father of all heavenly lights, in whom there's no shadow of turning, we are not deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. If we ask for fish, you will not give us a stone. If we ask for bread, you won't give us a scorpion or whatever. When we ask in that name, I decree an impartation of increased manifestation to reveal our sonship as men and women, to reveal it. Thank you, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. We have capacity to love our enemies, to forgive them. We have capacity in abundance of grace to be joyful people, happy, buoyant people. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're there with us. When we are rejected and betrayed, your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you for the hardships because, Lord, we thank you difficulties are not barriers, but they're bridges into our destiny. Thank you that difficulties and hardships and rejection cannot change a heart set on pilgrimage. And from one realm of glory to the next, We even know from Scripture that even persecution will increase the glory on our lives, as Peter says in his letter. So, Lord, we do not want to um, deliberately solicit persecution or rejection. But, Lord, we do not want to 
collapse like cowards when we are hated and rejected. We want to rejoice and say, Lord, in this world we will have tribulation, but we will be of good cheer because you've called us and you've anointed us as ambassadors of a divine government. We're walking, Lord, as citizens of the heavenly realm, citizens of heaven. We are You are honoring this world by keeping us on this planet. That we walk, Lord, as salt and light. And we begin to bring purity and holiness and transformation. And people that think there's such pleasure in sin and are so sick of it now. They would see the purity and the innocence of our lives because of grace, total grace. Nothing we could do by ourselves. Lord, we declare the incorruptible living blood of God. The blood of God that cleanses us and washes our conscience. Lord, that cleanses us, the very blood that the Spirit used to raise Jesus from the dead, that power of the blood that the Spirit used to resurrect Jesus, we declare because of righteousness in us, by the grace of God, the Spirit of the Lord quickens our mortal bodies with tangible, detectable and discernible power over our lives, Lord. Let the electricity of heaven burn, Father, through our spirits, souls, emotions, psychology and minds. In Jesus' name, deliver us and release us, Lord, from limitation thinking. In Jesus' name. That's breaking stuff off. Now turn your receiver on and just say, my name's Jimmy, I'll take what you give me. I will not limit what you want to pour out on me. There are many people here tonight that you've had encounters in the past, and there are encounters just to refresh you on the journey, but then there are encounters like I've experienced where it was life-changing. I was never the same after that. It wasn't just for me. It was for what would come through me to others. And so when the anointing comes, he activates higher realms of revelation, higher realms of confidence, higher realms of boldness, deliverance from the fear of man which is a snare. I've had the fear of man in some areas of my life that it's so ridiculous. I'm not fearful of men or women in the pulpit, but I get afraid for other things. And God is setting me free progressively from some of these areas I'm not confident in, and I'm growing in confidence. I'm nearly 70, and I'm still growing. And the best years lie ahead of you and me. All the hardships you've been through is for a purpose. Prakrasia is a Greek word which is a word for the anointing. It is also a word for pleasure, the pleasure of God. Prakrasia, it also means to go into a trance. That's what prakrasia is. It means you fall asleep, and while you're asleep and stay asleep, you awaken in your sleep while you're still asleep. You awaken to things that your head could never transact. It's not a sleep like normal sleeping. It's a trance-like 
where God shuts down so many faculties. And he did that to Adam. He said he put him to sleep. It wasn't sleep, snoring sleep. It was prakasya. It was a trance. And out of Adam came the most magnificent reality, a woman, while he was asleep. God put Abraham to sleep in Genesis 17. Spoke to him about the revelation of the gospel. Revealed the borders of Israel that they would inherit in 400 years. Was in a sleep. Jacob was in a sleep. Not sleeping, snoring. Epicrasio. He saw heaven, earth and the ladder. And how way in a ministry time there. I fell into a sleep for three hours. I couldn't get off the floor. For three hours I stuck to the floor. The Spirit of the Lord came and said to me, one of the angels that had refreshed Jesus after his temptation, after his 40 days of fasting, the devil came to an angel, angels came to refresh him. He said, one of those angels have been assigned to you now. And I said, Lord, that sounds so Star Wars. I'm so sorry. I, I just, it sounds so weird, but I believe you. An angel refreshed. Jesus has come to me, assigned to me. I was so frightened that people think I'm insane. I didn't even tell my own wife. I didn't tell anybody. I was so afraid. And I flew back from Hawaii to Hong Kong. Walked in the front door of our church. The greeters were there. An Aussie lady by the name of Sarah. Her face lit up. I hadn't told one person. She said, I've got to call you aside. Would you come with me? She said, you're in her way and you went into a trance. And one of the angels that refreshed Jesus is assigned to you now. I could not believe it. I was amazed. I went to Madagascar after preaching at 24-7. I was, I think I had malaria. I stood on stage and the power of God moved so powerfully. So many demonized people were getting set free was a man whose arm was withered. I didn't know it was withered. So I reached out and tried to pull his arm up just to help him. And his withered arm extended and he was healed. And an angry, aggressive, legalist Pharisee <coughs> ran up on the platform to switch all the lights off and the sound off and stop the meeting. And just as his hand was reaching out, the angel of the Lord that came alongside me smacked the guy in the head and he fell to the ground and went into a coma for about 10 minutes. I said, this is good, Lord. When he got up, I gave him the mic and said, what happened? He said, well, I was coming up here to stop the meeting. I hated all this gray stuff. He said, then the Lord smacked me in the head. And when I was in Prakas, he didn't say, he didn't know what it was. He said, the Lord dealt with me about my grace, my hatred of grace, and I repented. He went into Prakasio. Some of you are going into Procrastia on your feet. You don't need to fall down. Some can fall, but it's taking you in there. Father, I declare that you awaken afresh dreams and visions that have gone dormant, delays and disappointments have caused a coarsening 
of faith, a coarsening of conscience, and a vulnerability to, to easy distraction. If the Lord spoke it to you, it's from the Lord. You know down in your tummy, in your gut, the Lord has called you to do it. Every one of us is a Gideon hiding in a wine vat. Oh, not a wine vat, a wheat. Every one of us have fears. <laughs> the speaker's getting drunk. Every one of us have been in a place where like Gideon, how can I do this? I'm the least, in the least of the least of the tribes. And God didn't entertain Gideon's excuses. He just said, go in the power of my mind. And Gideon did such miracles. Forget about the fleeces and did you really say that? He did say it to you. The only reason you're doubting he said it is because it's so big and seemingly so impossible. Don't doubt. Don't doubt in the dark what you believed in the light. Don't doubt because of the toxic Christians that come around you at times. They're poisonous. Walk away from them. Get away from those people. Find innocent, humble people that are not banging a drum or a cause or trying to control. Find liberated people who walk in the power and the anointing of God who are so receptive. You just say, Jesus, and they receive power. Their capacity to receive has got so big they can take tons of grace into their hearts every day. And a consciousness of righteousness and innocence. Truly, truly, I say to you, the miracles that I've been doing, you that believe will do also and even greater works because I go to the Father. Expand your heart. Enlarge your thinking. Go out like Abraham and look up at the stars. Try and count the sand on the sea shore. Move away from narrow-minded people. Father, I decree and declare that this night, the destiny and the assignments that you've that you've put in the hearts of every man and woman in this place, be activated afresh to another level of conviction and clarity and certainty, Lord. In Jesus' name, awaken, Lord, the light of glory. We align with your assignment. We align with your grace. We align with heaven. We align with the throne of grace. We sever ourselves free from the people of evil hearts of unbelief that are constantly trying to limit us and mock us. We look out and we see the giants in South Africa, the chaos, 
the arrogance and the pride and the devil throwing himself around in this nation. It doesn't take thousands of people who are believers. It just takes small remnant groups full of fire, full of glory, full of confidence in God, full of boldness. Not even hours of fasting and intercession, although that's got its place. But just boldness to invoke the power of God over this nation. To invoke radical, deep conviction of sin. The one sin, the unbelief in Jesus. Let the Spirit of God come over South Africa. North, South, East and West. Every town, every dopey, every, every place, every province. Let the fire of God. Holy fire, burn over this nation, Lord. Lord, cut to heart the very wickedness and evil. Bring it out into the open and let there be radical repentance from the top to the bottom, from government all the way through municipalities and every area in South Africa. May we hear announcements in the next few days and weeks of exposure of corruption, but more than just exposure, by people's admission and confession, Lord God, and humility and repentance, Lord. Let, let issues like pornography and all kinds of gender confusion and every demonic act of darkness in the times of deep darkness, let your light come over the church, the kings and priests and people of wealth and opinions and poor. Come to the dawning of your light, Lord. We declare this over South Africa. We will not think that this is inevitable and this nation is to keep going down and down and down. We declare, turn it around. Turn it around, Father, in Jesus' name. We will not passively accept which is unacceptable in heaven. We say, let heaven's will be done in South Africa, Father. Lord, let men and women of credibility, integrity, and substance be voted in and merged into positions of profile and integrity to release, Lord God, the blessing of God across this nation of South Africa. In Jesus' name.